Bibles or open your apps to Matthew chapter 6. So appreciate it. Matthew 6. You know, sometimes you take steps forward and one step back. So today we're going to take a step back a little bit in our text, but that's all right. Have you ever wondered why the enemy, why the, why the enemy often makes us feel like we are to walk defeated? Have you ever wondered why your life feels like a, a series of setbacks? Have you ever wondered why? Out of the blue, all of a sudden, you, you just don't feel like getting, hey, here it is, out of bed. You ever, you ever felt like that? I mean, it may be Monday morning. You go, no, done, I'm out. I, I mean, I think it's in part. I, I think it's in part because when was the last time the, the enemy ever came to you and, and tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, hey, hey. You know, you know that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control that you have? I, I want to replace it with sorrow. I want to replace it with sadness. I want to replace it with discontentment. I want to replace it with anger. I want to replace it with hurt. I want to replace it with worry. And I want to replace it with anxiety. When was the last time the enemy ever did that? See, the enemy is much more subtle than that. The, the enemy is, has the same strategies had from the beginning. We understand this, that the enemy came to Eve and to Adam, and, and he planted a seed. Now, when you plant a seed, it's not immediately evident of the fruit that's going to come from the seed. But when he planted the seed, the seed was planted in Eve, and it was an attack on two things. Number one, it was an attack on the character of God. And number two, it was an attack on the word of God. Now, you might be sitting there going, now, whoa, 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 whoa. They did not have books in the garden. They did not. But they did have the character of God on display, and they had the Word of God because the Word of God said to Adam and Eve, you can have all that I have given you, just don't eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And when that seed of doubt was planted into Eve, she believed it, that God was withholding something from her. That meant God could not be trusted. His character is not trustworthy. And then in second, it began for her to discount it and discredit the word of God that he had said to her that he was going to provide everything for her and for them in the garden, just not of that one tree. But because the seed was planted into Eve, that same seed is also planted into us. And over our days, we have given ourselves into believing that the character of God is not trustworthy and the word of God is not to be trusted. And all of that is accumulated to where never does the enemy tap our shoulder and say, surprise, I'm here. Because if he did that, we would quickly say, thank you, but no thank you. See, if the enemy was, as the culture has identified him as, as coming in with, a, with his body painted completely in red with horns, a tail, and a pitchfork, we'd be like, yeah, no. But the enemy does not do that. The enemy takes often really good things manipulates them even in our own hearts and causes us to do all kinds of things that we look back on and regret. Is it any wonder that sometimes we wake up with worry and anxiety, not living the lives that God has called us to, but not also walking in the things that he has promised us to have. So the enemy is subtle. And I think one of the reasons why many of us struggle in our days is because we have forgotten how subtle and how crafty the enemy actually is. 
So we were in this text in Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, and we discussed even last week with, I think, two of the major themes of this passage of verse 24, that you can't have two masters and how you ought to have an undivided commitment to Jesus. And then we looked at verse 33, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you, and how when you do that, when you seek first the kingdom, that's an unhindered focus on the kingdom, that we as followers of Christ should have an undivided commitment and an unhindered focus on his kingdom. But what happens to us is that we forget. We forget as followers of Jesus that we're actually in a war. We're we're not in a war of necessarily a physical war, but even Paul will tell us that our our adversaries and our, our enemy is not against flesh and blood, but it's against princes and principalities. There is a cosmic fight happening, and we're in the middle of all of it. And so we have to be on guard. We actually have to go to war. In fact, that's how I would summarize today. Go to war. You didn't realize that when you showed up this morning that you were going to be, have a call to arms. Going to war. And in our text today, and again, I'm going to back up a little bit because I think it's necessary there's two primary things we've got to go to war with as followers of Jesus. We've got to go war, to war with our possessions, and we have to go to war with our worry. So if you have your Bible, it's going to be in Matthew 6. I'm actually going to start in verse 19, read all the way through 34, because that's who we need to hear from the most. If you have your Bibles, will you say word? Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for he will either love one, or he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? Mm. And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, O you? Of little faith. So don't worry saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We have to go to war today. The first thing we see in verses 19 through 24 is that we have to go to war with our possessions. We have to go to war with our possessions. 
One of the ways the enemy is going to attack your soul, one of the ways that the enemy is going to want to capture your heart's affection and your mind's attention is centered around your possessions and maybe even more specifically, our money. Our money. Now, if there's one thing that people don't like preachers to talk about, it's money. They don't like it. I hear it all the time. You you talk about money too much. Sometimes it's because pastors and preachers have taken advantage of the generosity of people. That has happened. We fight hard against that here at Rock Hill. Sometimes they question the motives of the preacher. He's just trying to increase his salary. Listen, the best way you can bless Rock Hill is to just give to the general budget. This is one of the best ways. We see their lives We even question every purchase they make. And we wonder, should they really be spending their money on that? We live under that scrutiny as ministers of the gospel that we sometimes worry about, what will somebody think if we purchase this? Somebody asked me one time at my last church if I'd gotten a new vehicle. And I said, no, I just washed it. But that's not really the real reason we don't like pastors to talk about money. We don't like pastors to talk about money because we want pastors just to deal with the spiritual things and we'll take care of the financial things. Don't don't touch that area of my life. I've got that under control. You just deal with the spiritual things and we'll move on. But I need you to hear me now. The, The spiritual and the financial are actually united together. I mean, he says it very clearly in verse 21 that where your treasure is, See, this is, we had this last, see see that? I'm not going to use it today. All right. We fixed the issue, and then the issue said, not today. That's why it's going to go to war with my possessions. (laughs) See, Jesus never made a distinction between the spiritual and the financial, he always tied them together. In fact, if you take all the things that we have written about Jesus, that Jesus says, if you took everything that he said, 25% of it dealt with money and it dealt with possessions. So if I was going to apply the same practice, then once a month you'd hear a message about possessions and money. And you would probably say to me, you talk about money way too much. But I would say it differently. I think pastors and churches don't talk about money enough. And I don't think we talk about our debt enough. Because often those things are the things that capture our heart's attention and minds of, uh, our heart's affection and our mind's attention that draws us away from the main thing that Jesus wants to be focused on. Now we know that Jesus said other things that if we said everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus did, John tells us that there would be a sense that there are not enough books in the world to contain those things. But Jesus saw them uniquely tied together. He says... This is why. Don't store up for yourselves, in verse 19, treasures on earth. He says in verse 20, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then he says in 21, for wherever your treasure is, there your heart's going to be also. Then he, we talked about, we talked about how, in verse 24, you, you can't serve two masters. So Jesus isn't saying you can't have possessions. Jesus isn't anti-possessions. Jesus is anti-idolatry. Jesus is against your possessions possessing you. 
He's not saying you cannot have a vehicle. You, you need transportation. He's not saying you, you can't have a home. You, you need a place to be your dwelling place, to, to live. He's not, he's not saying you can't have clothes or go buy something new. He's not, he's not anti that. He's not saying you, you can't have a 401k or 403b or an IRA or mutual funds or stocks or, or whatever else there is out there. Bitcoin, go, go for it. He is saying, though, that because he knows our hearts and he knows our minds, he knows what things attract us, because of that, he's saying, resist treasuring them. You don't think that possessions are that big of a deal, but Jesus is going to say, no, 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 it can become a big deal. It is a constant battle for all of us, even the people who are savers. You know those people, they're rare. They just save their money and save and save and save and save and then when they've saved for that thing and it's time to now go do that thing that they've saved for, they go, yeah, but we don't need to do that. We'll just save. And it's not that they're rich extravagantly or even monetarily rich, they just, they just don't like the idea of spending what they have. But Jesus says, be careful even in that you can be laying up for yourselves treasures here on this earth. So he says, don't do that. Go to war with your possessions. Jesus is not talking about you can't have possessions. He's just saying, don't allow those possessions to possess you. Put the resources that God has given you and use them for ministry and mission. Because the more stuff you have, the more distracted you can be. The more stuff you have, the more your heart goes after those things. Think about it. How many of us have had one thing? And then we have that one thing and think, well, I just need another thing. And by the time you get that other thing, that one thing that you had that you loved is no longer a thing that you enjoy. Now you enjoy that one thing. And then you have that one thing and you go, well, now I'm going to add this other thing. And now you got all these things and you go, I don't have, my time's divided here. We understand that practically, but we don't understand the connection to it spiritually. While those things are not evil, because Jesus doesn't call them evil, you're so focused on those things that it distracts you from the main thing. So Jesus is calling us not to just pass over this idea, not just to move along in the text to something else that we can maybe more readily apply, to say, no, 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 we got to dig deep into our personal lives here just for a moment to say, have I been committed to lesser things? Now, I want to spend the bulk of time together in this next section because he says in verse 25, therefore, do you see it? Now, you've heard this before. When you see a text in the scriptures, what's the therefore, therefore? And so you have to look at the previous context. What, what was the paragraph above? Of course, you look at the paragraph above, and what, what is the section Say And then what is that, not just that section, what does the, the book have to say? And then what, are, what testament is it? And then, and then what is it, how does it fit within the whole counsel of God's word? That's, that's just basic hermeneutical reading. Like, I think we're so tempted in our culture today to just take a verse and slap it on a mug. But that's not how the Bible works. You got to understand the context. And so Jesus says, therefore, so because I'm wanting you to go to war with your possessions, because I'm wanting you to understand that you cannot have 
two masters, because your eyes are the lamp of the body and will light up your whole life, because of all of that, I'm telling you right now, don't worry about your life. So we got to go to war with our worry or go to war with our anxiety. He starts here because I think the more we store up on this earth, the more worry develops and metastasizes over our hearts. Jesus gives us all kinds of reasons why we should wage war with our worry. He tells us in verse 25, do you see it? He says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body or what will you wear. Look at what he says. Isn't life more than food and body, more than clothing? He tells us here in verse 25 that worrying is actually foolish. Isn't life more than those things? Isn't it more than just eating? Isn't it more than just drinking? Isn't it more than just what you wear? Now listen, I know we've all taken a DNA test and I'm certifiably always hungry. I mean, have you ever eaten a meal and said, I'm never eating again? And 10 minutes later you go, but what's for dessert? <laughs> Growing up, we'd go to this place called Poncho's. Now we're preaching. We'd raise the flag. And my dad taught us the secret to ponchos is that you, at some point during your meal, as you're feeling a little more full than normal, the key is to wear sweatpants. But secondly, you order sopapillas. It changes the palate. And then once you order the sopapillas and eat the sopapillas with the honey that you've crusted in, isn't, aren't they good? And then all of a sudden you say, I want another cheese chalupa. You just shift gears, Right? It's how you're going to get, I mean, it's, it's just a little family secret, all right? But Jesus steps back here and he says, isn't life more than that? Isn't life more than worrying about those things? He, he says, when you worry about what you eat or what you drink or what you're going to wear, it, it's actually Foolish. Because what happens is we give our mind, or we give our mental, we give our physical, we even give our spiritual and emotional attention to those things. And we learn in verse 33 that if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all the things will be added unto us. It's, it's just foolish for us to think about those things. Because what happens is those things in our mind's heart and, and attention become the focus of our life. When God has already said, if we just focus on the kingdom, he's going to provide for us all the needs that we have. Look at verse 26. Not only is it foolish, he's going to tell us that it's faithless. 26 says, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Look at this. Aren't you worth more? Drop down to verse 30. If that's how God closes the grass, it's here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more are you valuable to God? Do you see it? Won't he do much more for you? Oh, you of little faith. It's foolish to worry and be anxious about these things, but it's also faithless. To worry and be anxious is actually to question God's value of you. See, I think we come to God, and we know that God cares for us, but we don't think he cares about us enough. 
To worry is to say to God, I know you care for me, and I know that I'm valuable to you. I'm just not sure you know how valuable I am to you. God says, look at the birds. Look at the grass. I feed the birds. The grass is clothed. Don't you know that you're worth more than that? Now, now remember, this is before Jesus has gone to the cross. See, we have the benefit of looking back onto the text that at some point, our value is going to be declared in a very profound way. That Jesus is going to make known that, hey, he's going to the cross in our place. So when we worry about all these insulary things, secondary things, tertiary things, about what we're going to eat or drink or what we're going to wear, it shows that we've forgotten that our value has been displayed on the cross. And not just been displayed on the cross, displayed in an empty grave that Jesus defeated sin and he defeated death and then he ascends into heaven and one day he's going to return and you want to see the love of God on display remember the gospel so it's foolish watch all these F's now it's foolish worked hard it's faithless but then he tells them in verse 27 it's futile it's futile. I don't always alliterate, but when I do, I go all out. It's futile. The only thing worry and anxiety accomplishes is distracting us from seeking first the kingdom of God. It drains us of our strength. It drains us of our focus. It drains us of our desire. It drains us of our lives. Look at verse 27. Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying. No. Like, you, you, you can't even add a second. Not, not even a millisecond by worrying. It's just futile. See, I, I don't like to enter into competitions I can't win. Worrying is like entering into a composition, a competition, and you're gonna get a D N F. Did not finish. You can't add one moment. Now, this is where alliteration stops for me because I'm not that smart. Look at what he says in verse 31. Not only is it foolish, not only is it faithless, not only is it futile, but it's also godless. 31, so don't worry saying what we'll eat or what we'll drink or what we'll wear. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now when he says the Gentiles, what he's referring to are unbelievers. When you worry and have anxiety, you're actually declaring a godless worldview, a godless lifestyle, a godless pursuit in life. He says there's a distinction between how a believer lives 
and an unbeliever. The unbeliever, the Gentile, they seek out what they're going to eat. They seek out what they're going to drink. They seek out what they're going to wear. They make that their life aim. But the Heavenly Father knows all the things that you need, and He's going to provide them for you. So when you worry and consume your life and have anxiety about those things, you're actually showing that you don't believe in God. That's how serious this is. This is why we have to go to war with our worry. The one thing Jesus is pointing out here is that the unbeliever is constantly worried about the basic necessities of life. But the believer is not worried about the basic necessities of life. Now, we often worry about things that aren't basic necessities. Amen or ouch. Like many of us, at least in my home, we'll eat beans and rice, not, not by force, just by choice. But a basic necessity, we're, we're rarely worried about those things as believers. But the unbeliever, they're constantly trying to fight and figure out, how am I going to make this work? I think we often forget what Paul has told us in Romans 8, that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. He cares for us more than we care for ourselves, and we care for ourselves pretty good. But the biggest reason in all of this is in verse 33, why we ought to have a Godward focus, because he says, seek first. There's only one that can be sought out first. There's not multiple. There's only one that can be sought out first. The primary reason worry and anxiety are threats to your soul is because you can only seek one thing first. So if your heart's distracted with the cares of this world, and there are lots of cares the world wants you to care about, If your heart is constantly drawn to concern, concern about things that are none of your business, it will be impossible for you to seek first the kingdom. And so sometimes we think, my possessions and my worry are none of your business. But Jesus says, no, no, they're totally my business. And I want to get in your business Because you can't be overwhelmed with your possessions and you can't be overwhelmed with the cares of the world and add any time to your life. Many of us borrow tomorrow's troubles when today has enough of its own. Is that not what he says in verse 34? Anxiety and worry kill our ability to seek first the kingdom of God. We end up putting all of our attention onto those things when most of the time it's not even under our control. When you're constantly worried, you're not going to be able to be focused on the kingdom. One of the best New Testament examples of this, I think, is is Martha and Mary. You know this story in Luke 10. It's a wonderful story. And I think sometimes we give Martha grief. You think about it. Jesus comes and says, I'm going to have supper with you. If Jesus says that to me, I'm doing whatever I can to help Abby. What can I pick up? What can I get clean? Do we need to hire somebody? What do we need to do? I'll take care of the food or or just the the protein. I'll take care of the protein. 
if you'll take care of all the other stuff. And so I'm worried about the steaks because we're going to serve Jesus ribeye steaks. Just put it out there. We're going we're gonna to smoke those things. We're going to do a reverse sear on them. So we're going to smoke them low and slow, okay? Because the turtle won the race, not the rabbit. We're going to low and slow, and then we're going we're gonna to get that, get that black stone really hot, and then we're going to sear them at the very end. So they're going to have a smoky flavor, but have a sear. contains all that juice. It's going to be glorious. A little bit of fat. It's going to be wonderful. And I'm going to be hustling and bustling around, in and out, seasoning, working it all out. I mean, I'm going to be working it out. Why? Because Jesus is coming over. I want this place to look good. Jesus, aren't you impressed with the museum that we live in? <laughs> he goes, you got, you, got, you got five, seven people in your home? You don't live in a museum. And we give criticism to Martha, like, oh, how dare she? But she's us. I'll be all of us. But Jesus says to her something that's very interesting because it's the same word that's used here in this text in Matthew 6. He says to her in Luke 10, why do you worry about such things? Some of your translations say, why are you concerned about such things? There's only one thing that matters. And Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus focused on the one thing because Jesus doesn't care how clean your house is Jesus isn't concerned about how good the steak was cooked and the salad looked that he's going to pass he's, he says no, 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 no this is the main thing why are you worried and upset about these things the problem isn't that Martha did something wrong the problem is that we are Martha in the story The problem with worry and anxiety is that even over good things, was Martha doing a bad thing? No. We even couch it and say, I'm just trying to be hospitable. She was being hospitable, but she had missed the point. You can't focus on those things while also seeking the kingdom of God. But so many of us just say, well, that's just part of life. I'm just a, here it is, I'm a worry wart. That's not a compliment. I've never met a wart and said, that looks good. I'm sorry. <laughs> All anxiety does is pull our attention off of the main thing. All worry does is cause us to focus everything on the wrong things. Now, in life, though, there are worriers and there are non-worriers. We know. I mean, some of you have been nudged multiple times during this sermon because you're the warrior and the Pharisee in the room thinks that you really need to listen. But boy, do I have something to say to you. She goes, person A is the person who sprints. And person B is the person who has one gear and it's slow. Person A is the person who's always worried about something. But person B is the person who has no care in the world. Person B says, don't worry. It'll all take care of itself. And person A says, well, who's going to take care of it? Person A struggles with anxiety attacks. And person B struggles with relax attacks. Either way, both person can find themselves not seeking first the kingdom of God. If person A wants to have the idol of control and have everything figured out and fixed immediately, and person B likes the idol of comfort, nothing invades 
their relaxation. See, the reality though is anything, anything that impedes your undivided commitment to Jesus, an unhindered focus on the kingdom, anything that inhibits that is that thing that you need to lay down. Because it could be a good thing. And it's getting in the way of the God that we're to serve. So is there anything in your life that's getting in the way of you seeking first the kingdom of God? I can't answer that for you today. Jesus takes these things and he says, you need to lay them down. Anxiety is not just something you should just live with. Worry shouldn't just be something, well, that's just who I am. For us, we should ask, am I living with a godly ambition? Do I have a heart that's undivided and focused on Jesus? Do I have that? It could be money and possessions. It could be worry about a number of things. It might be pornography or some other sexual immorality. It might be for you longing just to be liked. It, it might be for you wanting to be accepted. And maybe it's for some of you wanting to be approved. For some of you, you're just begging for somebody to compliment you just to be seen. I don't know what it is. It could be a thousand different things. But we've got to recognize them for what they are. They are an enemy of the gospel. So here's how I would wrap things up this morning. Three words. Faith. Faith. We, you need faith that Jesus is who he says he is and will do what he said he will do. This goes back to the garden. His character is trustworthy and his word is to be trusted. You, you need to have faith in that. Some of you do not have faith in Jesus Christ. And today the invitation is for you to come to the place and say, I've tried to control it all and I've come up bankrupt every time. It's time for me to, to have faith in Jesus, in his character, but also in what his word has said. Two, repentance. Some of you have allowed these things to creep up in your life. And it's just time that you just name that. This week, I've had some windshield time and come to grips with some things in my life that have risen to more important and a main place than should be. They've taken precedent over where I should be seeking. Repent. Repent. And when you come to that place of repentance, you really come to the place of surrender. We give up our rights. You say, God, I want to deny myself, take up my cross and follow you. I want to believe that you are true and I want to surrender my having to control everything and walk in faith. If there's something this morning for you that is hindering you from seeking first the kingdom, go to war now. The temptation this morning will be, well, I'll just deal with that later. But you eat, and then you take a nap, and you wake up from that stupor and go, now what was I going to do? You say, no, no, I'm smarter than that preacher. You don't know me. Listen, I've grabbed my phone to go do one thing and can't remember what I was doing. Why did I pick this up? My children have asked me questions point blank, and I, I hear the question, and then I go, what, could you repeat that? 
because I can't remember what they just said. I love you, but none of us are smart enough to remember those things. Go to war now. So we have a moment. We're going to sing. Part of singing is declaring truths to God about who he is and what he has said. And we believe these things. And we're going to have a moment. And you can come to the front. No one's going to judge you. I wonder what they got going on in their life. That's not your concern. Don't worry about it. Maybe they don't have anything going on. Maybe they're praying for you. Because you're worried about what everybody else thinks and what they're doing. What's their business? None of your business. Some of you are afraid to come because you're worried about what they'll think. It's just as bad. So I'm going to pray for us. And if your heart is ready to surrender to Jesus Christ today, we want to talk with you. Maybe today you've just been carrying a Santa Claus satchel of worries. And it's time to lay those things down. Let's pray. Father, we come. And Lord, we're asking that you would do a work in the hearts of men and women right now. Who need to come to a place of surrender. They got to come to a place of faith and repentance and surrender. That, Father, right now they would give their lives to you. That, Father, those who have been struggling and walking through these things, even online right now, that they would come to a place to just confess that, repent of it, believe that only, only you can fix all of this. They would seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, knowing that all these things will be added unto them. So, Father, we ask that you would do that right now. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the chance to gather. It's in Jesus' name we pray.